Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Chris Mannix from The Vertical. On today's podcast, former NBA lottery pick and current Westchester Nick Jimmer Fredette joins the show. We'll also talk NBA trade deadline, what teams should make a deal, and what teams should stay far away from them. That's next on The Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, Chris Mannix. Hey, welcome back. Vertical Podcast, Chris Mannix. We are back from Toronto. NBA All-Star Weekend is in the books and was a surprisingly entertaining NBA All-Star Weekend. I'm not one for these types of events. If I can avoid... All-Star Weekend as a writer, I do it the best I can to avoid it. It just, you just don't get a lot out of it. It's good to see some of the agents and GMs and and people all sort of congregated in one place. Guys, you don't always get a chance to see in one spot. But as far as the events themselves, they're so crowded. A lot of international media there. That's great for the NBA. It just makes it hard to write anything too specific. You don't you get a lot of stock answers from players but got a chance to do a lot of good videos, one-on-ones, Kevin Durant, CJ McCollum, DeMarcus Cousins. You can check all those interviews out at the Vertical website up today. So that was a fun part of it. But I was actually surprised, pleasantly surprised, at how good All-Star Saturday night was. You had the skills competition, which was entertaining at the end with Isaiah Thomas and Carl Towns. You had the three-point contest, which was fun to watch. Actually, the most fun was watching Kevin Hart and Draymond Green tie in a three-point shootout. Draymond, how are you going to tie Kevin Hart in a three-point shootout? But then you had a great run for Klay Thompson to win the award, beating out Steph Curry amongst others. Then you had the dunk contest. And how many of us out there 
had totally given up on the dunk contest. Because if you look at the last 10 years, what's your best and most memorable moment from the dunk contest? You'd have to go back to like 2000 when Vince Carter owned the dunk contest to have one that really stands out as must-see TV. There were individual dunks along the way, some good moments. Guys like Gerald Green had some good moments. But beyond that, the dunk contest had lost a lot of its luster to the point where people were already talking about how do we replace the dunk contest? How do we move on and find something better for All-Star Saturday? Well, no more. No mas. (laughs) The dunk contest is back, and it's back in a big way with Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon just jumping out of the gym and putting on an absolute show that was as compelling television you saw all weekend long. The All-Star game was what it was, a high-scoring, no-defense type of affair. Disappointed that Kobe Bryant didn't have a better game. Would have been nice to see him walk away with the MVP. Russell Westbrook ends up taking it. But All-Star Saturday, the dunk contest, that was cool. Watching Levine and Gordon go at it, mano a mano, it just made me really want them to do it again for the next couple of years. And I hope both these guys don't get that we're too big for the dunk contest feeling that sometimes players get because that wasn't goofy. That wasn't, you know, coming out of a phone booth like Dwight Howard did a few years back. That wasn't blowing out the birthday candle as Gerald Green did a few years back. This was like real athleticism, real acrobatic stuff. It was really, really cool to watch, and I hope they do it for one or two more years. They can become sort of the Jordan Dominique of the dunk contest in this generation. So fun to watch the dunk contest. But now we turn the page a little bit, and the NBA All-Star Weekend, it leads right into the NBA trade deadline. That's this Thursday, 3 p.m., Trades have to be done by then, or else the rest of the season is what it is as far as deals go. And I'm not exactly sure what's going to get done before the trade deadline. A lot of chatter out there, as there always is, but how many deals are going to get done? And I made a list of teams that I think should make deals and teams that I think should stay away from deals. And we'll start with the teams that should make deals. The Cleveland Cavaliers. They need to make a trade. Now, they don't need to make a trade to get out of the Eastern Conference. They can do that on their own. I mean, I love the improvements Boston has made. I think Toronto is a real threat, especially when they're playing defense at a high level. But the Cavs, they can't hope to match up with the Golden State Warriors with this current roster because they don't play great perimeter defense. And they still have trouble playing when the lineup goes small. They've got to find a defensive-minded player out there. Now, who is that guy? I don't know. You could play the fantasy game. And say, you know who would be a great fit on that team? Jay Crowder from Boston. Elite defender, plays multiple positions. But the fact is, you're not going to extract Jay Crowder from the Celtics. I didn't buy into and don't buy into the rumors about Kevin Love and a trade with Boston. Just because the Cavs are not flipping Kevin Love for the pieces the Celtics have. I mean, I guess if you can get Jay Crowder back for Kevin Love, you would do a deal like that. But if you're the Celtics right now, would you trade Jay Crowder for Kevin Love? It's a tough call. And if you're the Cavs, would you be able to take that straight up for Kevin Love? It's tough. I, I don't see the Cavs dealing him unless they get a proven starter back in return, not with the window to win as finite as it is. But they need to make a deal. They've got to get somebody to bump up that three-point defense, the pick-and-roll defense. That's what, what Golden State did to them the last time. They pick-and-rolled Cleveland to death. And does anyone out there think that wouldn't happen again in a finals? If Golden State's completely healthy... They beat Cleveland, and they beat them comfortably. Maybe not a sweep, but six games, that would be my prediction, Golden State over Cleveland. So I think the Cavs 
need to be aggressive. Need to look for teams and look for ways to make a move to upgrade that perimeter defense. Team number two is Chicago. The Bulls season is over. Jimmy Butler's out for a few weeks now. Joe Kim Noah's done for the season. You got to make a deal if you're the Bulls with one of your front court guys because more likely than not, you're going to see some turnover in Chicago. You're going to see some of those front court guys walk away at the end of the season. Noah's a free agent. Gasol is a free agent. And Gasol's the guy you can deal with this moment because Gasol is at least playing. And you put Pau Gasol on a contending team, he might be the juice that contending team needs to win a championship. Gasol can still play. Offensively, he is still a must-double-team type of player most of the time. He can still give you 15-plus points on a consistent base. So rebound the basketball. Not a great defender, but he's long and can defend the rim a little bit. You're not going to get a ton back in return if you're Chicago, but if you're the Bulls, you kind of got to look at it like there's a pretty good chance that we lose Pau Gasol at the end of the year. And if we lose him for nothing, are we going to regret not flipping him before the trade deadline and at least getting something back in return? Maybe you can get a first-round pick for Pau Gasol. It won't be an early pick, but maybe you can get some kind of first-round pick for Pau. And if you can do that, if you're Chicago, as your season's kind of circling the drain a little bit, I think you have to strongly consider it. Because the Bulls, with their injuries and where they are right now, I don't see that team going anywhere. Team number three, Boston. And I know a lot about the Celtics. I'm around them a lot, as I have been the last month or so, doing some sideline stuff for them. Look, people in Boston are excited about that team. They should be. They play together. They play hard. They've got arguably the best young coach in basketball and one of the best young coaches, period, in Brad Stevens. So people are giddy about the way this team is playing. They're beating the Clippers. They're dominating on the road. They are just playing at an extremely high level right now. Isaiah Thomas, an all-star. Jared Sullinger playing well. Kelly Olynyk making three-pointers. Crowder, as I mentioned before, a defensive stopper. But I don't want Boston, I don't think Boston should get too in love with this roster. Because in order to make the jump to the next level, you've got to get another A or B level player onto that team. And you've got to do it via trade because free agency, you might be able to get a guy or two, but signing one of those type of guys outright is going to be really difficult. Mike Conley, not coming to Boston, not that you need him anyway. LeBron, Durant, those guys, they're not coming to Boston. But if you can make a trade, and when I talk trade, I'm talking Al Horford, that guy in Atlanta, who the Hawks are shopping right now. If you can make a trade for an Al Horford, you have got to do whatever you can to make it. Because Al Horford, to me, is the perfect fit for the Boston Celtics. He's versatile, plays two positions, the four and the five. He's a scorer from the post, consistent, all-star as we saw this year, taking the place of of Chris Bosh. He's a good guy. He'll fit right to that culture in the locker room with the Celtics. And you can re-sign him. Look, Boston has all this cap space, and they don't have a lot of guys on the roster who are going to be making a lot of money. Isaiah, he's under contract. Marcus Smart, still part of his rookie deal. Jay Crowder, recently signed to a very reasonable deal. And think about this, Boston, before you get all worked up about the idea of paying Al Horford five years, 140-plus million. At some point, guys like Olenek, guys like Sullinger, the front court guys you have already there, their contracts are coming up. Sullinger is coming up at the end of this year. These are guys that are going to command dollars in the 8 to $10 million per range at least going into these types of seasons. Look, salaries are spiraling out of control. Players are making more money than they ever had before. I still go back to Jeremy Lamb getting $7 million a year before the season. If Jeremy Lamb was worth $7 million per year at the start of this year, what is Jared Sullinger and what will Kelly Olenek be worth next year? Those two guys, their combined salaries will probably be close to what Al Horford would make in his first year. 
So Horford is going to be priced high, and you might say at the end of that contract, he's not going to be worth it. But it's a calculated risk on the part of the Celtics that I think they'd have to make because all of a sudden, you add Horford to that mix, you get a defensive-minded center to play alongside him, you got Crowder, you got Smart, you got Avery Bradley, you got Isaiah Thomas. You don't have a championship-level team yet, but you are that much closer. Plus, throw in the fact that you're going to have a top-five pick in the draft this year. You're going to be able to take your pick from some of the best of the best, thanks to the Brooklyn Nets being terrible, and Danny Ainge fleecing the Nets. These are all positives for the Celtics. Now, I will say this. I don't look at Boston as being a team that should aggressively dump the Brooklyn pick, do everything they can, I guess, to get that said player. Because you don't want to get too excited. You don't want to overextend yourself on a trade. One thing that Danny Ainge has done so well in his time as the general manager of the Celtics is that he's taken advantage of the desperation of other teams. And look at the history. You had the Brooklyn Nets, who badly wanted to get a big name, multiple big names, onto that roster as the team moved into Brooklyn. They wanted Pierce. They wanted Garnett. So Ainge was able to extract three first-round picks in what looks like the deal of the century from the Nets for that deal. The Dallas Mavericks, they wanted a star elite point guard to play alongside Dirk Nowitzki and extend that championship window. As a result, you got Crowder, who nobody saw coming, at least nobody on the outside, and you got a first-round pick for Rondo, who is now playing for the Sacramento Kings. He's made shrewd, smart deals over the years that have put his team in position to be a better team, but still have assets going forward. Isaiah Thomas was another deal. Isaiah, he took advantage of the Suns looking to retool at midseason. Get him for virtually a song. So I think Boston should be aggressive, but I don't think they should just dump all their picks to get a guy that they think will help them in the short term. You still have to look at the Boston team as one that is in the, I don't want to say early stages of rebuilding, but the mid-stages of rebuilding. If it takes a couple more years, that's what it takes. But if there's an opportunity to get a guy like Al Horford, you've got to kind of jump on it. Teams that shouldn't make a trade. The aforementioned Atlanta Hawks. It's interesting, and I respect the mindset of Mike Budenholzer and Wes Wilcox in Atlanta. They look at their team and they say, you know what, we're pretty good. We are a top four, top five team in the Eastern Conference. We're going to win 50-plus games. We might make a decent run to the conference finals. But what are we? Are we a team that really could compete with the Cavaliers in a playoff series? Could we do it? So I respect Atlanta's perspective here, that if they can't beat Cleveland, maybe the best thing is to look at the long-term play and I don't want to say rebuild, but at least explore what you can get for real assets like Jeff Teague and Al Horford. Now, I've had a couple of executives say to me they don't think Atlanta's really serious about trading Teague or Horford. They are just looking for one of those godfather type of deals. And maybe they're right. Maybe Atlanta, if they can get an A-list small forward or power forward or center in exchange for Jeff Teague, maybe then they trade him. Maybe if they can get a big deal for Al Horford, then they trade him. But maybe they're just happy testing the waters, seeing what's out there. And if they don't get one of those big-time deals, they can bring these guys back and continue their pursuit of winning a championship with this group. Look, these are not bad players. You just have a little bit of redundancy with with Jeff Teague because I think Dennis Schroeder, and I think Atlanta thinks Dennis Schroeder, is ready to take over and take that team uh, over as a starter. And Horford, yeah, you can pay him the money you're going to pay him, but I think Atlanta sees Paul Millsap at the power forward spot and says, all right, this is a guy that can play four for us. If we can get something else 
in exchange for Horford, namely a starting small forward like we lost in Damari Carroll or a center who can play alongside Paul Millsap, maybe we take that opportunity. Maybe we can get multiple first-round picks to play within the next couple of years. So I think I like Atlanta's move to test the waters here, but unless they get great deals for Teague or Horford, it would probably be a mistake to move them just because those guys are really talented and there's a pretty good chance both those guys in the case of Teague, he's under contract, and Horford, who could resign there, will be there for the extended future. Another team that shouldn't make a trade, the Sacramento Kings. The Kings, in the next couple of days, are going to be inundated with trade calls. Teams want DeMarcus Cousins, and maybe they want some of the other guys on the roster. Now, to this point, I've heard nothing to suggest that the Kings are going to trade DeMarcus Cousins. The front office, ownership, that group still believes that Cousins can be the face of the franchise, and they certainly want to at least give Cousins the opportunity or give themselves the opportunity to have Cousins as the centerpiece as they head into a new building. Now, that mindset may change when they get into the offseason, when Cousins goes into a walk year, but for now, it doesn't seem like Sacramento is shopping this guy. It does seem like they're shopping other guys. Rudy Gay, I've been told he's available. Ben McLemore, he's available. Marco Bellinelli, He's available. You can pretty much go down the Kings roster, and if you make a credible offer, I think the Kings will consider it. My thing with Sacramento is, do they really know at this point what a credible offer is? And this goes back to Vlade Divac and Vivek Ranadive, the brains and the operation in Sacramento. I just don't think right now they have the experience necessary to make the right deal. I think they need to wait with this group until the offseason, hire new people, bring people in under Vlade Divac who are you know, impressive with credentials, and then start to build your team. It was, it's not that Vlade can't do this job. I think Vlade's a smart guy. And a lot of people around the league think Vlade's a smart guy. It's just that when you're new to this job, you need experienced guys underneath you. You need a staff of ex-general managers, ex-executives working underneath you. It's what R.C. Buford had in San Antonio. It's what Sam Presti had and has in Oklahoma City. You need to build a a foundation of top-level executives to work under you. And until you do that, you've got to be very careful because teams out there are looking at Sacramento and they're looking at a team that they think they can maybe poach some guys off of, buy low on Sacramento, make ridiculous offers that maybe no other team in the league would take and hope that Sacramento will take it. There could be changes with the Kings. I'm not sure George Carl lasts the entire season. I know people jumped on me a little bit when I wrote that George Carl was about to get fired. And at that time, believe me, George Carl was about to get fired. George himself believed he was going to get fired from what I heard. But looking at the schedule the month of February, even though he got a reprieve from Vlade Divac before the All-Star break, there still remains a legit possibility to me that George doesn't finish the season. Now, I think that would be a mistake. I think ownership and management need to throw their entire support behind the head coach unbridled, unfettered support. That's how you win in the NBA. You can't win in the NBA when players think the coach doesn't have the support of management. It doesn't work. It never has, and it never will. But I don't think that's ever going to happen with George Carl and Vlade Divac. Vlade didn't hire George, so you know it's, it's one of those situations where it's doomed to fail, and it may fail sooner rather than later. But you know that aside, everything else with Sacramento should be put on hold. Take some time, have patience, wait till the offseason, and then evaluate where you're at. 
bring in some new people, give Vlade some help, and then maybe you start making moves that can upgrade your franchise. I know the Kings organization feels like it has to have this super team or as good a team as you possibly can have as they head into a new building, but that should not be a priority. The priority should be building this team from the ground up, building it organically, have a great coach, have good young talent, build through the draft, do what some other teams have done over the years in growing a team uh, from the lower levels on up. If you do that, I think Sacramento can have a bright future. I think there still is enough talent in this roster to form kind of a foundation. And if you add to it, you know, the next couple of years could be pretty good for Sacramento. But if you keep going down this path of you know poor drafting for one and dysfunction within the front office and the coach's office, you're just not going to have sustained long-term success. It's just never going to happen. You're listening to The Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Joining me now, former NBA lottery pick, NBA veteran, and now a member of the Westchester Knicks and the reigning MVP of the NBA D-League All-Star Game, Jimmer Ferdet. Jimmer, I know that when you're a kid and you're coming out of BYU and you're a lottery pick, you expect your first All-Star experience to be as an NBA player. Was it at all strange, and what was it like, really, to be going to the All-Star Game competing as a D-League All-Star? You know, it was a lot of fun just to be uh, a part of the weekend. Like you said, I, I had never been to All-Star Weekend before, and I've heard it's a really good time and obviously a lot of buzz around whatever city you know the All-Star Weekend is in. And Toronto did a great job of putting the weekend on, and um, the fans were very supportive. And, you know, I just had a lot of fun and was honored to be able to be there and with such great players, such great athletes, and, you know, former players and all the people that, you know, are there with All-Star Weekend. So it was just a a fun experience for me and was able to, to participate in the game and have a fun time. You put on a show in that game, no question about it. You were the story coming out of it. When you get into a game like that and you know who's in the stands, you know every or almost every coach, GM, somebody from a certain team is watching. How much is that in your mind as you're you're going into that game? Well, you know, as a dealer player, you know that, you know, on any given night there can be, you know, multiple different personnel of of teams watching so kind of every single night you have that mentality going in that you want to you know play well and play as hard as you can and show what you can do because you honestly never know who is going to be watching and um you know you just kind of take that same approach and obviously at the all-star weekend everybody it's heightened a little bit everybody's watching you know so i knew that there were going to be people in the stands watching but i just had the same focus to go in and play the best that i can and you know, I got got it rolling a little bit early and just felt good and just continued to play well. But, um, you know, it, it, was a, it was a great event. It felt like, as I was watching you there, like, that's BYU Jimmer. That's, that's college mm-hmm. Jimmer. Heat check, pull it up for three, right off the transition. D- did it feel like that out there? Did they have sort of a college feel to it? Um, you know, somewhat, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, back in the BYU days, definitely that was, um, you know, something that I was known for is being able to score the basketball. And, uh, you know, this season here with the D-League, I've been able to do a, a similar type thing. And I think, um, you know, a lot of it is just I, I've been able to get out there and play and um, have the ball and be able to kind of, you know, lead the team. And um, in order to, for me to do that, I go out there and, and try to score the basketball and just be aggressive and make the right play, whatever it may be. Some nights I score more than others. Some nights I'm trying to assist or, you know, just be a decoy, whatever whatever it is on that night, you just try to take what the defense gives you. But my main focus is trying to be aggressive and still show people that I can play the game of basketball. Was this the idea when you decided to go to the D-League to 
you know, not just play, obviously, you want to do that still, but to be in front of these types of eyeballs to continue to have the attention of the NBA because that seems to be the biggest upside for playing in the D League is you still are on NBA teams' radar pretty consistently. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the, the biggest thing is that you want to just go out and show what you can do. And, you know, it's been it's been uh, four years since I've really played a lot of basketball in the in games. You know, I've had consistent minutes here this year, obviously, where I've been able to play a lot. But in the last four years, they've kind of been spotty. And I play some here, play some there. And, you know, I just haven't been able to show what I feel like I can, can provide for a team. And I feel like this year I've been able to kind of show that playing in the D league and have people being able to see what I can do again. And, um, you know, hopefully it's a a positive thing and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens in the future. When, when you sign with San Antonio, I was among the people that thought, all right, that's a, that's a pretty good fit. You know, they just lost Marco Bellinelli. I know you're not the same player, but they do like shooters in the San Antonio organization. How surprised were you that it didn't work out there? And, And from your perspective, why didn't it work out there? You know, I think the biggest thing is that they were kind of looking for a bigger wing player to kind of fill and fill that 15th roster spot, and that's, I think, a big reason why they kept Rasul Butler and, um, you know, they let go of myself and, and Reggie Williams. Um, you know, I think they were kind of just looking for that. You know, it's, I don't know necessarily I didn't play well enough. I, I think that's kind of just what they were looking for. But obviously San Antonio is, uh, is an amazing organization, a great team. I was honored to be able to, to be a part of it for a little while and get to play under Coach Popovich and uh, with all the, the great players that they have there. So, you know, even in the short stint of time, I learned um, some great things. And, uh, you know, I think they just felt like it was right for them and their team to go in a different direction. And, you know, that's just the way the business works. Keep moving and, uh, you know, hope for the best. Something you know now about Pop that you didn't know before. Uh, he's really funny. He's a really funny guy. I mean, he'll come into practice and just crack a joke or, you know, and loosen things up so that, you know, you're not so, you know, focused or, you know, thinking about practice or something. He wants guys to, to be loose and to go out there and, and play with great intensity and great effort, but he also knows that it's a game and he, and he wants you to have, have fun. He wants you to be focused but be able to know that there's other things in life besides basketball. When you do get cut by San Antonio, I mean, where is your confidence level at? I mean, was it difficult to kind of keep that high after being let go again? Um, you know, not not necessarily. I mean, I felt like I played pretty decent in training camp and, um, you know, had, had a pretty good showing and was still, you know, just coming off of a good summer where I worked hard to get back at it and, and um, you know, felt like I was playing okay. But, um, you know, like I said, it just wasn't necessarily what they were looking for. So you can't necessarily take those things to, to heart and let it, you know, ruin your confidence. You just got to reboot, get back to know, know what you can do and uh, figure out the next step and, and try to get yourself prepared for whatever that's going to be. I know why you, you chose the D-League. We talked about that. But, I mean, did you have overseas offers that were more lucrative? I definitely, yeah, yeah. We had overseas offers. And uh, after I did get let go by the Spurs, we – we took everything into consideration, you know, the D League and then overseas offers, and um, you know, we took everything and in, and we decided that the D League was the best spot for me at this point. Um, but when when you have a decision like that, there's a lot of things that go into it besides just basketball. I mean, you have my family with my wife, and uh, you know, we got to decide what is going to be best for us at this point. And uh, we just felt like the D League was at this point. You know, the D-League, it's, in a lot of ways, it's like going back to college in some senses. The bus rides, the, the flights. I mean, is it – what kind of culture shock was it for you to kind of go from the NBA lifestyle to the D-League lifestyle? 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely very different. Um, you know, while I'm out here in New York, I don't have I don't have my car out here or anything like that. So, I mean, you're getting working van rides to to practice, and then um, obviously we travel commercial. And during the winter, it's a lot pretty tough to travel commercial a lot because you get delayed all the time, and there's storms, and you know, changing flights and getting up at you know five, four, four or five in the morning, so you can catch a flight, the flight, and then bus from a you know from a big airport to a smaller city where we play and um you know it's definitely very very different than nba travel and i think that's one of the harder parts is you know the travel and being on planes and having to get be stuck in airports and everything but you know it is what it is and um you know once you step out on that basketball floor everything is the same you're going to go out there and play and give your your greatest effort it's just a little different getting there what was the wildest travel experience you've had in the last few months um, well, the, I think the, the toughest one that we, we had is we, we had a back to back and, um, we played in Austin and then we played in Oklahoma city the next day. And obviously it's in a back to back in the D league. We couldn't leave that night to get to the game. So we had to wake up after we played the game, you know, you get to bed at probably one o'clock or so. And we had to wake up at four to get on a, a flight to, Oklahoma City, but we connected. So we went from Austin to Dallas and connected in Dallas at like 9 a.m. And then we had a flight from Dallas to Oklahoma City and we got in at like 12. And uh, we got in and had to just, you know, get a quick nap in, get some food in, and get to the gym at like 4.30. So, I mean, it's uh, definitely different. Yeah. Is that is it motivating to go through that and be like, man, I'm going to play my butt off. I'm going to you know kill this game and I'm going to get back to that private jet that NBA teams fly on. <laughs> I mean, it, uh, we're, yeah, I mean, D-League players are motivated every single night. Mm-hmm. I, mean, this, I mean, they definitely don't want to necessarily end their career in the D-League, but it's a developmental league. It's meant for furthering your career, wherever that may be in the NBA or you know, in Europe, or it's always to try to go out and get that next contract, get that next deal. Um, so, you know, everybody's motivated every single night, and I'm no different. I'm, I'm motivated to try to further my career and get to the place where we want to be. You know, you are arguably, I mean, I, I would say arguably, but I think it's true, the biggest name right now playing in the D-League. That that kind of makes you a target. I mean, I you heard the Reno coach taking shots at you earlier in the season. Do, do players, when they see you out there on the floor, do you notice them playing, maybe taking it to a different level, saying, all right, there's the ex-lottery pick, there's Jimmer Fredette, I'm going to have a big game against him? Um, you know, I think that there there are some cases that that happens for sure. And, uh, you know, as a competitive person, I would do the same thing, um, you know, and on a nightly basis, I, I'm, I'm a very competitive guy as well. So, and if I know that that's going to be the case, you know, I'm going to have to go right back at him. You know, it's just the nature of the business. You know, it's, it's something where it's, a guy can go out and have a good game, you know, against me, or if I can go out and have a good game against another big name person, that's going to help their career out, you know. So it's the likes that happens every single night, and um, I'm no different. So, I, and I realize that, you know, I've had quite a bit of NBA experience, and guys, you know, know if they can play well against me, that they, that they know that they could could be in the NBA, you know. So I think that it's something that I have to be prepared for every single night, go out and give my best effort. And um, you know, be competitive as, as competitive as the person that I'm playing against. In Westchester, I mean, how focused have you been on trying to become a better defender? Now, obviously, you want to improve your game all around, but you know, covering the league, you know, what, when people bring you up, they say, "Well, can he defend 
at a high level, a starting level for a playoff caliber team. And that's always been kind of a question mark with you. Have you put extra focus on that and trying to improve on that end of the floor? Yeah, I mean, I definitely have tried to, to show people that I can guard and that I can go out there and play within a defensive scheme and, and know, uh, be a smart defensive player. Um, go out there and be able to, to just give give fight and give effort every single night. I think that's what, what teams are necessarily looking for. You know, I don't necessarily have to be out there and, you know, be the, the best defender in the league. But um, if they know that I can go out there and, and fight and be competitive on that end of the floor and uh, force the player towards the help and, you know, play within a defensive scheme, I think that that's what teams are looking for. So that's what I'm trying to go out there and, and show that I can play, that I'm, you know, a tough a tough guy that can, you know, play on that end of the floor as well and, and will give, you know, everything I can to uh, try to be, you know, a good defender and a guy that can, you know, help a team on both ends of the floor. Do you play Reno again? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think we play Reno. Do you want to play Reno again? Uh, you know, I don't even think about <laughs> it, to be honest with you. Really? Not something that, uh, no, no, I don't, I don't think about that. I don't really, it doesn't really bother me. Um, you know, if people say that, that's just the, the, the way it is. Obviously, um, you know, it's something that you have to, to deal with as a basketball player. There's going to be lots of different things said about you, and you just have to, to go out there and not, not really focus on it um, and, you know, play your game and, and worry about everything else. Did you have a cooler place in college or in Westchester? <laughs> the one that actually this place, I had a pretty – decent place in college so we we my especially my senior year we finally were able to to move up in the ranks and get a, a decent place but um the, the place <laughs> that we have here in westchester is actually pretty nice i was i was very surprised when i walked in it's uh, it's a nice nice building with a, a great apartment we're right next to the train station so we can get into new york city really easily um you know so i was actually very surprised they have a really good setup over here in westchester has the you know has your your profile kind of diminished at all in the sense that like do you still walk through airports and have people want to take pictures with you or has that kind of died down at all or is that gym romania still exists wherever you go <laughs> um I, I definitely still have people come up and, and ask and, and ask for pictures or autographs wherever it may be um you know it might not be quite as much as it was during my college years but i still definitely have people come up and and uh, ask me for pictures or autographs wherever it is that I, that I am. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the, the, the fans that continue to support me and continue to support my family and know who I am and still follow my career. And without fans, we wouldn't be able to do what we do today. So I'm very appreciative of it. When you look at, look back at, especially that last year at BYU, I mean, just how crazy was it for you when, when you have some separation from it now, what stands out in terms of the mania? Yeah, it was, it was an unbelievable experience. I mean, the thing about it that was very uh, interesting to me when I look back is that my, my life pretty much changed overnight. And uh, it was uh, against the San Diego State uh, the first time that we played them. And uh, I had a good game, and we beat them at our place, and we were both top ten teams. And uh, we ended up winning the game. And the fans rushed the court, and then obviously everything was all, all over East and Everybody was watching that game, and people were tweeting about it. Um, you know, big celebrities and everything. So after that, you know, I'd go out to, to dinner or something, and I couldn't get anywhere without mobs of people coming up and asking for pictures and autographs. So then I, it kind of, my life kind of changed overnight because I was like, all right, well, now I can't really go out and in the public over here to, to go out to eat without being, you know, talked to and stopped by a lot of different people. So I had to be a little bit more incognito and, 
and uh, get takeout and stuff like that and do different things. And uh, so it was a really amazing experience, something obviously I'll never forget. And, uh, you know, appreciative of all the support. Did you wear disguises ever? <laughs> no, like no face masks or anything like that. You know, I'll put on a hoodie or uh, something like that, keep the head down. But uh, other than that, no. No mustaches or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you look back at those days, I mean, was there ever somebody that came up to you in the most awkward of situations and asked for an autograph or a picture? <laughs> um, I've had some cool stories. There, there was one story that I'll tell you that um, when I was, it was my senior year and I was just kind of, you know, I don't even know where I was. I was just walking around and all of a sudden a kid came up to me with uh, a pair of shoes and he said, hey, can you sign these for me? And I was like, yeah, sure. He's like, you know what's so crazy about these shoes? And I was like, what? He's like, I saw you throw these shoes away when you were a freshman in the dorms. So I went and I knew you were going to be a big star. So I went into the dumpster, grabbed your shoes and kept them and waited for you so that once you did get big, I could have you sign them again. That's... <laughs> so I was, uh, that, was, that was a little bit different. He went into the dumpster, got my shoes and uh, kept them so I could sign them. <laughs> that, that's, that's both awesome and incredibly creepy at the same time. Yeah, yeah, no, I thought it was... I thought it was both the same as well. <laughs> uh, in the aftermath of the way you played All-Star Weekend, have you heard from teams? Do you have any kind of expectation of what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks as the trade deadline passes and that March 1st deadline comes up? Yeah, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Um, you know, I'll talk with my agent here this week. He was in Toronto for All-Star Weekend, so I'm assuming he gets back today. Um, you know, so we haven't communicated a whole lot just because the international call rule and everything, but I know that I'll talk with him either today or tomorrow and see what um, see what he's saying. And you know, obviously, there's all a lot of teams up there. Every team's up there, so I'm, he had had the conversations with different ones of them, and we'll see you know what they say and uh, you know how things are looking. But uh, you never know what's going to happen until someone pulls the trigger. So you know, it's all speculation um, at this point. But hopefully, at some point, uh, a team will take a chance on me. Is there an international call rule? Well, just with uh, if you have the international, you know, if you call to the U.S., it costs a lot of money. So a lot of people don't use uh, their cell phone for calling up there, and I know that he wasn't at that point, and I wasn't definitely. So, <laughs> so he'll he'll uh, he'll wait until he gets back in the states, and I'll talk with him either today or tomorrow. Tell tell your agent to you know come on, he can write that off. It's a corporate expense. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm next time I'll make sure to let him know. <laughs> well, Jimmer, I appreciate the time, man. Great talking to you again, and congratulations on the success over All-Star Week, and hope to see you back in the NBA real soon. Great. Thanks, Parker. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening, everybody, and a big thanks to Jimmer Ferdette for joining the show. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, and you can get it on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Please tweet me at ChrisMannixYS for questions, and leave questions and reviews on the iTunes podcast review page. We'll see you right back here next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. Find your voice. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.